was gonna. Well, you were gonna see your friend, and you were gonna. gonna I went to bed. I went to bed like a fucking baby. Um. On the couch. Welcome to episode seven. Seven of the episode of the all time pod. Um, Fuck, we're already at seven. We're at seven. Holy shit! So you have sixty albums. Uh, from our top 100 After this episode It's at 70, 70 Where we yeah, kind of yeah. like Cut it off When we were Making the list Because We yeah. this, we had the same 70 albums Yeah uh, This week We're doing 80s Exclusive episode So everything released In the 80s For this um, That's what we're gonna do For the next couple of episodes Till the end really Yeah 80s, 90s, 2000s 2010s And then there's the Controversial 2010s uh, what's new this week? What do you want to talk about? Um, I just want to make it a point that it's been really hard to get into a lot of hip hop this year versus what was coming out last year. And last Friday, Jim Jones from Dipset, if you heard episode two, I'm a nut hugger for Dipset, came out with his new album completely produced by the Heat Makers that blew my fucking mind away last week. Yeah. Blew my mind away. Uh, he did a fantastic job. It's not grown man rap, but you could tell that it fit his sound and it fit him as an MC. It's hard to get into Jim Jones, let's be honest. Yeah, it is. It's really, really hard to get into Jim Jones. You need to like dip set for that. But he really focused on his voice. He really focused on the beats that were giving to him, very soulful, very like that Kanye early 2000s, like college dropout type. Yeah. Uh, with a lot of sampling, and man, he fucking killed it. There's about, I would say, 14 to 17 tracks on it. Cameron featuring, Rick Ross featuring, Dave East featuring, Currency featuring. And at the end of the album, I was like, okay, this is really well done. Like, it's really well done. Mm. I'm not like, oh, I'm going to skip this track. Not, there's not too much R&B hooks. It doesn't drag. The songs aren't five minute long. He really made a great project mm-hmm. for his age, and I'm sure he's in his 40s. You said college dropout. Did you watch the uh, Letterman interview with Kanye? Uh, I watched it. I fell asleep at a couple of points, woke back up, finished it off. Uh, what do you think about that? I enjoyed it. I felt that um, oftentimes critics or interviewers or journalists are looked at as the villains to art. In general, yeah, it's a big time. Um, I think what was really cool was how Letterman. Um, Letterman's a master at the interview at this type of thing, and it was really nice to, for once, see someone who was able to shut down the Kanye character and just get an interview out of him. Yeah, because I didn't like the way he walked in. But well, he he, he came in as the character, and and Letterman was able to kind of level, get him leveled. It wasn't like when he goes on Ellen and this kind of the like like it becomes a, a, a joke about him or it wasn't like a TMZ thing. It was real. It was a real uh, a real back and forth where he was given a chance to explain. He was given the uh, he was also taking some of Letterman's points and and taking them well. I found it was a smart interview. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of there was a couple of points that I walked away with that I really liked was how. Um, at the very end, he was kind of talking about the Sunday service stuff and how. Well, he's getting he's getting a bit of uh, 
there are people that are that like it, and there's people that think it's completely weird. But he's having fun with it. There's nothing well, wrong with that's it. That's what was really cool is how he kind of explained like the whole like the current state of hip hop and the way they make their music and the lyric they put over it, and people taking drugs to enjoy it. And he's like, I'm doing all that, but through Sunday service. But I'm the one that's weird. Yeah, that like it was sense. kind of it was kind of um, a nice way to say like just the way you enjoy whatever poison you like. I'm doing this. Nobody's getting hurt. And I think he's doing a great job with his Sunday service. Yes, at first you think it's weird, but he's doing it in a way that attracts people to be like, okay, he's doing something different once again. Yeah, it's different. I'm not necessarily a, like I don't I don't know that I would. Uh, I would go see a Sunday service tour or that I would oh, I care for a wouldn't. Sunday service album. But I mean, yeah, if he's doing, if he's doing what he likes, go for it. We spoke about the point where he said that he listened to his old stuff and found that he wasn't a good rapper Yeah. versus his production. Cause his production really stood out mm -hmm. versus him being MC. Yeah. I think I'm not going to say he's wrong, but I think he's a horrible MC now compared to what he was. I don't think it matters whether you think he's a horrible MC now or then or whether he's a better producer now or then. I think what I took away from that was Kanye just criticized Kanye. Yes, another thing we don't do. And another, and going back to the Letterman point of being able to get him on the same level uh, when he says, like, I'm not the greatest rapper. I'm not. And he kind of opens up and says, like, rappers are generally full of themselves. It's a gimmick. People forget that when it's him because he plays that role so well and he pushes it and he's extreme about it. It was nice to see him say, like, like, wake up. Like, it's all, this is all a spectacle. It was more human. Yeah. I like that part of uh, the interview where you could see that he's more of a human being. There's not too many cameras around him. He's not putting on a show. But this is what's also great is that there's so many people that take this so literally in that he went on this show and he acted a certain way and he's insane or he went on this place and he did like like I've been saying for years this guy's in on this oh for sure like let it like you're feeding this beast like but that's he's well aware of what's going on that's social media's fault oh yeah that's, a, that's another that's a conversation in and of itself like yeah good interview overall yeah, uh, it was good. David was Leatherman's a, a cool dude. I like the part where he went to his house and tried on all his clothes. That was nice. Yeah, Th that was cool. You could see that it was more down to earth than more of the extravaganza Kanye West. Yeah, well, another thing that was cool about that was how Letterman didn't criticize the clothes for being younger people clothes. Okay, he mentioned it, but he didn't not try them on. He did what Kanye wanted him to try doing. And in that, you once again got a very leveled... Um, thing out of it. Yeah, it was cool. So um, we're on 80s albums. Did you have anything else to add to anything? No, go listen to that Jim Jones, uh, El Capo, and uh, also that Denzel Curry that came out. Uh, yeah, I hear good things. I'm not. Yeah, Zoo. We're doing this, and I didn't get a chance to listen to it. Yeah, it's really hard to get it to get into a bunch of stuff that's coming out because we because we're doing this. But uh, yeah, yeah, those two albums are uh, a good uh, a good solid uh, listen. So the 10 albums we talk about today, all from the 80s, um, these stood the test of time. They, these are uh, the albums that on this list have had the most time to age. 
Yeah, because this is kind of like the, not the birth of hip hop, but like what kind of started that, that full on, I'm going to go listen to hip hop, yeah. the hip hop culture, the full on yeah. hip hop and bright lights type. And it starts with a lot. These guys cemented. Right. They're the still sound. respected today. Oh, They're big still, time. Uh, it's, it's a little, I think, unfortunate that we don't hear of them enough anymore. But, um, I mean, even in this decade, you hear the, uh, like, the growth from, uh, from, like, just a short period of time within the release of these albums. Already, people start sounding different. Oh, for sure. They, they kind of started, like, a certain way of doing hip-hop. And throughout the 90s and the 2000s, it just got better. You know what I mean? Like the 80s started it. Yes, there's people before in the 70s, but the 80s started it, they started it and it just kept getting better and better and better. So let's start off with these albums. So the first album we start with is not a Run DMC album. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, well, not because it's bad, but maybe because it didn't age. And maybe because we're doing the 2010s at the end. This is one of the albums that finds itself on the outside of the greatest hip-hop albums. I find that when you need to listen to an album and tell yourself, yeah, but this came out in 80-whatever, I shouldn't have to think of the time it came out in and, and evaluate it based on that. If an album, the, the 10 albums that we put from the 80s could be listened to today, yes, they don't sound like the music that came out today, but I don't care and I don't need to take into consideration this came out in the 80s. So the first album on the list that we start with. Criminal Minded, Boogie Down Productions in 87. In 87. So, so we're starting high in the 80s. We're starting low in the 80s, you mean? High, low. 87 is what? Late 80s. Yeah, late so 80s. So there's no early 80s. Yeah. And if you think of it, 87, we're going chronologically. So 87 to 89 right now is all we have to work with. Yeah. All these albums come out within three years. But you could tell that the sound... Is already changing a lot. Because Big by time. the time we get to the last album, it already doesn't sound like this album. At all. Um, Boogie Down Productions, Criminal Minded. A lot would say that this is the origins, and you wouldn't expect this from maybe the first album on the list. Well, if you know the album, you would. But this is often considered the first gangster rap album um they were very firm on the origins when they when they bring you through their this album they're very firm on the origins of hip-hop being from the bronx yep where they originate uh it created a lot of tension with queens who the was also over. claiming the bridge is over who was also claiming that they were the creators of hip-hop and on this album you get two of the first diss tracks South Bronx, and I cannot remember. Bridge is over. Yeah, bridge is over. Uh, the fucking KRS One, being the MC, yeah, in the group, and DJ Scott LaRock, that got shot. I think the year after. Or uh, not even this, a full year yeah, after this. Very after shortly the, yeah, after. He got killed uh, at his home, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, right after this album came out. Uh, KRS-One, you guys know KRS-One is one of the forefathers of hip-hop, one of the most liked MCs, one of the most lyrical MCs. Yeah. Uh, he actually has a book called The Bible of Hip-Hop, 
where he talks a bunch of stuff about hip hop in it. Uh, this album, when it came out, was really it went differently because it was more there was more aggression in the album. Nine millimeter, yeah. Um, nine millimeter goes bang. He's talking about getting shot at, which wasn't common. Again, this is because of the the beef that he was having with people from Queens. He was trying to storytell that, but it wasn't common to hear this on an album. No, because I find when when you hear this album, you you already start getting that different type of sound. And what was coming out in the earlier 84, 85 mm -hmm. type hip hop. Yeah. There's that more aggression, but there's that the beats were more aggressive also. It wasn't always the same sound throughout the album. The beats didn't sound the same. Exactly. Uh, DJ Scholar Rock, as being the DJ, you could hear him more in the production and more in the sound as well. Um, the cover. Yeah, the cover would probably, well, I mean, the, the criminal-minded right across the cover. When you listen to the album and you're just into instrumentals, you probably won't pick up on this possibly being a gangster rap album, but um, the imagery is there. Oh, yeah. Again, the, the themes that they're, that they're singing about um, shortly after, as we just said, Scholar Rock gets shot. KRS was quick to change his stance on violence. Yep. You could tell that this guy was somebody that... Um, he is probably considered a more conscious rapper. Yeah, we could say that. After this, he formed a group. Guys from Public Enemy were part of that. Um, Stop the violence movement. This is something that very quickly changed in his approach towards hip-hop. Yeah, because again, this album is pretty violent. And that, that, very lyrical, but very violent at the same time, where look at what he's saying throughout the lyrics in it, Super Ho. I don't think he talks about a Super Ho in any other other albums after this no it was like like we said it was very much something he did for this and when he realized how uh, how 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 it needed to change because of violence in hip-hop and because of violence of where he came and from. and violence in hip-hop so early in hip-hop for sure um but as that, we said but that and sorry to cut you off yeah. that lyrical though yeah Karis is all lyrical and it's crazy that he stood the test of time as an MC as well because of his lyrical ability. This put up that, that, that bar that you needed to get over. That lyrical ability, mm -hmm. there was that bar that KRS once set. And there's somebody that went over him really, really quickly. What's well, the next album on the list? The next album on the list, again in 87... Uh, not very long after, I think just a couple of months after, four months after, one in March, this in July, the Eric God, B. and Rakim. The God MC. Eric B. and Rakim paid in full. Um, the first thing people will probably uh, associate to this album is my favorite rapper used to sing. 
check, check, check out my melody. So 50's favorite rapper being Rakim. The God MC Rakim. Man, this album. The, there's, there's two albums on this list, maybe three, that when I first started to get into hip hop, I had in my CD player. Yeah. This is one of them. This is one of them that you keep going back to. You rewind. You're like, what is he saying? That yeah. bar that KRS one set is already being jumped. It's already being jumped. And in '87 is when that lyrics start to really take form. And it's crazy how his ability to rap over those beats and to stay on point. He doesn't change his flow up that much. Let's be honest with each other. But the way he attacks the track and the way the beat flows with his voice is just, it's the—it's kind of like the changing of the guards for hip hop. When you hear this though, you wouldn't think like, again, we're very early in hip hop. So people that are, you're not really expecting somebody to jump out at you. And what I find so, so great about this is it's, he doesn't make much of a difference through his rapping style. It's little things he does. I should have taken notes on on, on things that I that I find like stand out. It's the way he he'll make a clever line and do something as he's telling it to you. Here's one thing. At one point, he tells you about like a trick in the way he fits rhymes awkwardly to the beat, and in telling you that he does that. That's the type of thing that I'm saying. I, if I could find the exact part, I'll I'll find the way to. But he just has a way of. Um, it's a different way, and it's a thing that a lot of people I find didn't do afterwards. Like it's 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 particular. It's its own thing. He's considered as one of the greatest MCs of all time. In one of the episodes, we talk about Mount Rushmore, where we have Jay, Nas, Big, Pac, Rakim is awfully mentioned in being one of the greatest MCs. I think in the Mount Rushmore of, I hate this term. I find it so ugly. I know. But favorite rappers, favorite rapper. He's up there, like Scarface we mentioned in the other episode. This is, the, this is that type of guy. Oh, for sure. And a lot of MCs, like the 50s, like the Jays, Nas, not borrow his, his flow, but go back to it and reference him. Pay tribute. Yeah, pay, pay tribute. Because he, he, he put up a bar higher than anybody else, and now these guys needed to go in and do what Rakim was doing. Let's not let's not steer away from Eric B. Yeah. There's something that 80s early well early 80s were in 87 but this era of hip hop does. They pay tribute especially in this case where it's a duo where in Criminal Minded Scholar Rock was a highlighted member. They give instrumental tracks to the DJs to scratch. Which is smart. Which is smart because DJs later and producers later weren't necessarily this type of DJ. So I really put a, a different, it has its own trademark, this 80s stuff. So Eric B is on the cut, Chinese Arithmetic. Which is a great fucking track. That's it. And they don't, and they don't, they complement the songs that 
are with the vocals, let's say. They're not just extra tracks that are slid in. They It really plays out. This album is, is really a perfect album. I can't see why this wouldn't be still today um, a 10 on 10. Oh, for sure. If this album wouldn't have came out, I think we wouldn't be listening to certain MCs the way we do now and have a certain style like the Nas, like the J's, like the Big L's. This album set that set that bar. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about only Rakim. We're talking about the album as a complete yeah. body of work. There's an interesting interview you could go see with uh, Rakim and Nas together. Fuck for real? Yeah, and Rakim talks about the first time he heard Illmatic. And that his first impression when he heard Illmatic was, this is the first time somebody does what I do. Anything that came out in between all the rappers, he's not discrediting them. But when he hears Illmatic, he realizes that this is this is as good as what I did, if not better. Things like that are more important than when I say I find it overrated. Oh, this album is not overrated. No, no, no. I'm saying Illmatic. Like we yeah. had that discussion in episode one, how it's very, it's put very high that it's hard to listen to it on that level. When I say that, who cares? When Rakim says this is as good, if not better than anything I've ever done. I think that's where you can take that and say like, yes, Illmatic. Yeah. But do you see where Nas and all these guys got their, not their flow from, but their, their ability from, they, they studied guys like Rakim. I wonder where the fuck he got his shit from and where he studied to be as good as this. Right. Unless you're born with it, which is well, totally understandable. It's, 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 I mean, it's the early hip-hop. One thing we didn't want to do was give you a history in hip-hop because that's not the point of this no. podcast. So we didn't go back and say, like, these people started, then this, and then Boogie Down. But, I mean, there are people we, we didn't put on the list yeah. that, had, that had, I mean, just freestylers that probably never had albums that were on the scene. That production. And we're going to get into the next album. That yeah. production really started standing out in hip-hop more and more as we jump into yeah, the next album, album yeah. epmd strictly business my god something that epmd are very proud of are very front uh, are they're very upfront with they formed their whole history off one word what word? I have no idea. Business. Oh, business, yeah. yeah Strictly Business is the first album. <laughs> Unfinished Business is the second album. What's the third? Business as Usual <laughs> is the third album. Those are the great three albums that they have. Business Never Personal is the fourth album. Back in Business, the fifth. Out of, Out of business. business, I guess, the, the, the Farewell album. Fucking great album. And then they come back. With their last album. Almost 10 years later, we mean business. <laughs> so, um, I, I, that interview that we watched. And, and apparently this year they're putting out big business. That interview with Eric Sermon. He, wor- he uses the words very, he, he uses the, he calls EPMD a brand. 
He calls it a business. He does not see this as... This was business before art, and they made good music, but this was not... Good music wasn't the first point to this. Making money was. Exactly. Exactly. And the production on this album was full Eric Sermon. Yeah, he was the beat. Yeah, he was the... But do you see where hip-hop started to grow? It's with albums like fucking EPMD Strictly Business because of the production. It got funkier. It started to get funkier. They were producing differently. They were using different samples. Because Eric, because these guys weren't from... These guys were from New York, but I believe they were from Long Island. They didn't come up... If I like, If I understood correctly from... His recent interview on The Breakfast Club, he's pretty clear on it. They came up in white neighborhoods. So the kids would have ZZ Top records, he yeah. said. They would have rock records. They would have punk records. They would have these things. And he wasn't opposed to hearing that stuff. He wasn't opposed to using that stuff and doing something differently than the other guys. It shows in their fucking... It shows it does. in their and music. On the first album, he even, he even says, listening to hardcore or whatever... Like, he's very open about not being only into hip-hop. Like, he was aware of everything that was going on. Again, business. You got to know what's going on to give, to deliver a good product. Exactly. And with this album, you could tell that the growth is there, the business is there, and they wanted to make a great album. And let's put it let's put it again. Again, that bar was set. Mm. I'm not saying MCing. The MCing was there. Parrish and Eric, they had they had good ability yeah. to rhyme. But to For me, sure. when For I sure. listen to this album, I am listening to the beats yeah. way more oh, than yeah. I'm listening to the lyrics. Yep. Let the funk flow, incredible beat. If you want if you just want like a a track to go see what we're talking about, let the funk flow. I'm housing is, is it was a single for this album. This was a song I heard off the Rage Against the Machine cover. I had no album. idea yeah. where it came from. Remember? Yeah, yeah. It was on the Renegades album. Yeah. I was like, okay, is this a Rage Against the Machine yeah. new song? Mm. And then you hear it then, you're like, okay, I want now, now I know why. Now I wonder why. I know why mm. they went to redo it. Mm. Like Jane, the last song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And these songs are pretty fucking long. But they don't seem long mm-hmm. because you're writing the beat as you go. Another thing about rappers in the 80s, we mentioned how a lot of them could kind of sound alike. The first three rappers, KRS was very particular. He was very loud. Yeah. Uh, Eric, Eric, uh, not Eric B, but Rakim was more of the monotone. Sounds a bit like everyone in terms of tone. EPMD had that contrast with the two of them. We didn't put them in the duos group, in the duos episode. We left them for this because well. their stamp on the 80s was huge. But the contrast between the two, one of them being more laid back, the other one being more eccentric, having the lisp. The lisp stood out. Yeah, for Sermon, yeah. It works really, really... works amazing, man. These guys... Uh, and look at the production... Before we jump into the next album, look yep. at the production that Eric Sermon has gone to do. That sound just evolved. The people on this list, 
before we jump into the next album, they're on this list because they made a stamp for hip hop. Mm-hmm. EPMD Strictly Business made a stamp for hip hop. It made it paved that way for rappers like Keith Murray. Paved that way for rappers like Redman. Yeah. Paved that way for rappers like Method Man. All these guys. Mm. It's because of albums like this. And then we get back into the MCing. More like the Rakim style. Two rappers that sound I find similar, very similar. Very similar, but different rhyme patterns. Yeah. Big Daddy Kane. Long live the king. We got into this album a bit later. Yeah, it's not a it's not a go to for me. Per se. No, 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 it's not. But it, I mean, Big Daddy Kane is um, another guy that that often gets the credit for for having really pushed hip hop to the mainstream. But he's known. For his rapping style. Mm-hmm. Like the beats sound like any kind of other album. All the beats by Marley Marl. Yeah. Which big is, name when you're talking. Yeah. Which is hip-hop. a big, huge producer and did a lot for this sound. Yeah. There's a feature on this album I want to bring up. Because we said Lisp on Eric Sermon. We said most of these rappers were alike. There's one guy that features on this album that was like no other. This, this to me is the first gimmick rapper, the first old dirty bastard, the first Flavor Flav, the first Easy, the first all these guys. Yeah, Bismarcky. Yeah. You see, it fits better on a featuring than a full album. I like. His, I think, I like his album. You do? The first two are good. Yeah. I, I never. I couldn't get into them. They're good, but they're. F- they're moody albums. They're, yeah. they're they do what they do and take it or leave it. But he fits well on a song with Big Daddy Kane, mm. where the it's different because yeah. they're two different MCs. Yeah. Big Daddy Kane as an MC, again like the Rakim, paved the way for certain MCs. Why? Because of how he puts his. Bars together. We're talking about bars. Yeah. This is the. These are the years that we start talking about the bars mm-hmm. and the flow wordplay. and and the yeah. wordplay. And when you listen to that, that's what stands out in this album. And he only gets better with time. And he paved. He he wait. He evolved with time. Yeah. He got better as maybe an MC, but this was his best album. His debut album was his best album. I I can't tell you if I've listened to any of his other stuff. This is the best album. It's a classic. Ain't no half step in. Huge. Classic. Set it off pretty big too. And the production by Marley Mall. Yep. So I think we I think we could say this is an album where you don't have much to say about it, but it's just a good, great hip hop album. Yeah. I could agree with that. I'm happy with that. So we're jumping to the next one. We're jumping to the next album on the list. We spoke about them already, and I cannot figure out which album I like more of the two that we're talking about on this list. Because I believe when we did the other episode, we said the other one was better. I'm going to stand by the other one maybe being better. No, I don't know. It's good. But I find this more of a... It, it's really hard when you're talking about Public Enemy. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. As being the album on this list. Yeah. 
but because they're very political. And this is a a political album, but I find this more of a party type album, more of the barbecue background, jump up and down type album. If you were part of our generation, or at least maybe for me, but I think for the most part, our generation, you first heard Public Enemy playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. It's this album that they, they had. What's the song? It's Bring the Noise. Yeah, okay, it's Bring the Noise. So Bring the Noise for Public Enemy and Motorhead's Ace of Spades is probably the first time you heard those two songs. Yep. Um, if you're our age. That's what got me into Public Enemy, by the way, is Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk Pro Skater? If it, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have probably gotten into them. Um, a long album. That's fuck. But not as long as the other one's only about. It's, it's just under an hour long. This is the more, I find, not upbeat, because other songs are very loud and very in your face. But like, like I mentioned, it's more of that party background music. Yeah. The bomb squad sound, what we hear many times in the next few years in hip hop, like they did on the Ice Cube sound. But this album has more of that flow of where, okay, we're not going to be serious all the time. We're not going to be political all the time. Although it, it is. It is, but we're going to give you that hip hop. We're going to put our stamp in hip hop as public enemy. Mm hmm. And put out a classic album. Look at all the reviews. 10 on 10s. 5 on 5s, 10 on 10s, 8 pluses. I mean, it's really, yeah. I don't see it as a 10. No, I don't see that Not as a 10. Not for me, but you know. But it's in that, we're going to listen to hip hop, we need to listen to that album. It's there for that reason. Again. Cobain was a fan of this album. Really? Mm. June 88. Another changing of the guards in hip hop. No one was doing a sound like this. The sound was definitely a change, and even but Chuck D is. is uh, well, hold on, wait, 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 wait. I said this in the last episode. Eighty-seven, Yo Bum Rush the Show, which was probably changing of the guard. This is the the first Public Enemy album. I said in the last episode is underrated. Yeah, it's underrated. People got to hear like the that first Public Enemy album is very, very, very. Underrated, but Skip why up. aren't they talking about that in hip hop as much as they are this album? There has yeah, to yeah, be this that. This one was the, the the what what took off for them. The, there has to be that reason. It, is it because they went more commercial with their sound? They were they the production. It has more production value here. This is one of the first times also where uh, Rick Rubin works on hip hop. I know he was working on things with LL and Beastie Boys. Uh, some Run DMC stuff, but executive produced the first two Public Enemy albums. He did bu Yo Bum Rush the show? Yeah, he did. And it doesn't get enough light as it does like these albums? I'm telling you, if you're if you're into Public Enemy and only know the main stuff, being It Takes a Nation and Fear of Black Planet, go hear the first album. It's... You could hear the fucking Rick Rubin sound on this album because of the loudness. It almost oh, yeah. sounds. Yeah, yeah, of course. It also yeah. sounds like you're listening to a rock album the whole time. Yeah, Rubin is known for that loud. Rubin, Rubin, yeah. 
There's but, albums I could go off about that aren't hip hop that are too loud. Why do you think that? You're sitting right beside them. Why do you think that uh, this is on Tony Hawk Pro Skater too? Because it's fucking loud. It's in your face. It's, uh, I guess, yeah, it's, it's kind of a reaction. It, but the album is all over the place as well. It's all over the place. Uh-huh. The, the the production from fucking Bomb Squad and Rick Rubin together. Jesus Christ, you need to you need to put that volume low. Chuck D as an MC, we're not going to forget. Before we jump into the next album, I got to say that Chuck D is one of the forefathers of hip-hop. Hmm. I don't care if people are going to listen to this podcast and think that I'm out of my fucking mind. Uh, you have no idea what you're talking about, about hip-hop. Uh, you guys don't know anything about the 80s music. Chuck D put a stamp in hip-hop. Could he be one of the first with the political views? I, I think, th- yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's really fair He's to say. He's the first to probably make as much of an impact, for sure. And be commercially successful. Well, yeah, we're talking about, look, if you look at the rest of this list, these are pretty much the groups that run the 80s. They weren't too political. At all. Yeah, I think it's fair. We're getting back into another fucking group right now. That's the second time they're on this yeah, list. Yeah, so twice on the list, Eric B and Rakim, to highlight how important this group is. Not just the MC, but the group Follow the Leader in 88. Their second album. Second album. This is where... Steve, wait a second. That's, mm. the, that's a year after they released Follow the Leader? Paid in full, yeah. Paid in full? After, yeah. Fuck. Okay, continue. Well, back then it was more... It was a quicker pace that you had to kind of work out to stay... Kind of like what's going on today, but we won't yeah, get into that yet. Yeah. Um, this album was interesting because on the first album, when you listen to it, it's a lot of rough kind of cuts, rough takes, rough. On this album, you get more beat changes. You get more song structure. On Microphone Fiend, another album, another song from the Renegades Rage cover yeah. album. At the end of the song, the beat just switches on you. The, the drums get loud, yep. get in your face. Yep. This was probably one of the older albums that I'm familiar with that, to do that. Change beat abruptly. Look at the first three tracks. Follow the Leader, Microphone Fiend, Lyrics of Fury. Yeah. Can I tell you that in that span of a year or whatever, he got better as an MC? He did. He Fuck. did for sure. And I think it stands out more because of the better production. So could we say the group got better within a year stepped up and put another stamp on hip hop? Because everything they did after that is very well liked and it's very good. But these two albums just stood the test of time and aged super well. When we go listen to that today, and we did Mm. this week, we were like, I get why. Just like we get why. Just like Public Enemy has that fear of a black planet or it takes a nation of millions. Paid in full is often put in its own category of untouchable albums. This one people seem to have a hard time saying that. And I don't know why. I don't get why. But to me the two are one and the same. Microphone fiend. People go back to the, that that song. And hip-hop for years and years to come. MCs keep talking about it years and years after this album because of his lyrical fucking ability on the goddamn song. I melted microphones instead of cones of ice cream. 
Hello. Yeah. Um, Who the fuck was saying that? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not the genius in the in, of hip hop. But who the fuck was saying shit like that? So clever. Cle- yeah, that's it, yeah. Like so clever in hip hop. If it wasn't for guys like that, I'm sorry, but a lot of these MCs wouldn't exist or wouldn't be as clever as they are. And that's that, that's a very important point in Rakim is the cleverness, the wordplay. KRS told you stories well. There wasn't a wordplay involved all the time. He may have, but it was story. Eric being uh, EPMD were telling you why they were better than everyone else. Yep. Again, business, With pushing fun- business. F- funky, funky production, right. funky production. Public Enemy, the political guys. With the lyrical ability as well. And the uh, flavor flave. Right. And they were clever in the funny sense. But this was, I think this is the first time we hear that kind of rap. That rapidly rap. Yeah. That rapidly rap, your rapper's favorite rapper. You need to go dig in to how Eric B and Rakim were different than the other artists coming out. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And we're going to go on a break. If you're the type that stops in the episode to go hear albums, paid in full, follow the leader. Go hear them now. We'll be back. You have just finished listening to Paid in Full and Follow the Leader. We are back from break. The next album. Am I going to have another Mob Deep moment with this? You might. You're all... Uh... This is the... Yeah, I went to the bathroom and I peed and I feel better. Why do you have to... <laughs> Straight out of Compton. <laughs> This is the first album I ever fell in love with. The first album that I ever fell in love with. Besides Rancid and Out Come the Wolves, <laughs> NWA, Straight Outta Compton, to me, is the first album that I ever fell in love with and set the tone for me to get into more hip-hop. I'm sure on other episodes I said that <laughs> Wu-Tang made me go deeper into hip-hop. Mob Deep made me love hip hop. All this, all this stuff. This album started. It started. It put that line in the sand where we're like, okay, let's start a journey. Let's start that journey. Let's see what else is out there. To me, this changed me as well as a human being because. I I was I was a bit older when I got into this album. I would say I was mid high school. So I understood music more than I did back then. So that so what these guys did for hip hop, like we spoke about in the, the other albums in the eighties, this was eighty eight as well. It was the, the changing of the guards and brought you that in your face gangster rap but it also brought to you not that storytelling but that we're from Compton we're from South Central here is what we're going through 
So they didn't really focus on their lyrical abilities. They focused more on who they were, where they came from. These, these guys all had different characters. They were all different MCs. And the reason why I like Wu-Tang is because everybody in Wu-Tang is different. Everybody in NWA is different. There was the, there was the famous movie Straight Outta Compton that came out, and I'm sure a lot of people went to watch that movie. Got to rediscover it. With. And, and rediscover what these guys were all about. Or hear it for the first time, even. Man, th- this fucking album just... It's, it has a, sent- a sentimental value for me mm. as a listener and as somebody that loves hip-hop. It aged super well. I don't need to... This is an album I don't need to go back and listen to and be like, do I still like this album? No, I know I still like this album. Yeah. And for the first time on this list, a West Coast artist. And For the first time, and I think the last time on this list in the 80s. So very important point to make. Will you? Do you mind if I... Uh, go and jump in. I'm going to jump in as you go. We said Criminal Minded was arguably the beginning of gangster rap. This is the beginning of gangster rap as we know it. To me, it is. It's more in your face. It's not as much. Boogie Down on Criminal Minded did it in a storytelling way. Yep. This is an in your face. This is punching you in the face way. Look how the album starts. Yeah. Another big point to make that I have about this album is that coming from the West and coming out of the West with such a violent, aggressive approach, this ruined a lot of the positive stuff people were doing in New York, elsewhere. Yep. The Big Daddy Canes, the Eric B's and Rakims, the EPMDs who were more in your face, but it was business. It was They were just hyping themselves up. These, they weren't making the same music that NWA was making. That's it. This was something that kind of... Uh, I don't want to say it this way, but they rained on everyone's parade. Yep. Everyone was being positive, and they fucked it up for everyone. But you get that because of where they were from and what they were going through. Absolutely. Police Absolutely. brutality. Look at, look at the song. What probably went the first fuck you songs in hip-hop Besides the dissing that went against authority, fuck the police. Look at that impact that song made. Yeah. In hip hop. Yeah. What I think hurt what what I think hurt the culture though, was how when this group fell apart, it was not amicable at all. As we said on the West Coast episode, Ice Cube coming out with one of the strongest diss tracks on Death Certificate, No Vaseline. It was never. They never let things go. Everything, violence was always responded to with violence. Yeah. And that was something that just continued to kind of ruin it for everyone else. It showed you that the West Coast, these guys showed you that the West Coast was more in your face. They were trying, the thing is, is that they were trying to tell you that, look, look at what we're living through versus what you guys are living through. Look at the shit we need to go through. Versus what you yeah. guys are going through. 
Like you can't discredit that at least when saying that this uh, this is a violent album and this is what this this was their reality. I'm not saying this in a way of saying, you know, look at these guys being like, you know, they just ruin every party for everyone. That's not at all what I'm saying. No, I know. It was a different reality. It was a different reality, and you could tell. This is probably one of the first times in hip hop to me where you could tell where you're from. You knew the guys were from New York. And the guys from the East were making this sound. You know where NWA is from. You know the sound that's happening. Remember last episode I told you what Compton's most wanted was? Yeah. They were the nighttime NWA. Yeah. The more of the, the drug dealing, uh, that type of gangster life. These guys were attacking everything. Everything Los Angeles. Everything Compton. Everything South Central. They were your gangster rappers. You, these guys came onto the scene as being cool gangsters because they had that fuck you attitude. Easy. I wanted to be easy in high school because he was cool. He was, he, he, he was gangster. Nobody could fuck with him because of the image he put himself to be. He wasn't a rapper. He was told to rap because of his voice. Because of his image, he didn't rap. He didn't write, write his rhymes. Mm. Ice Cube and MC Ren did. Yeah. Ice Cube had they that. Show in the movie. Huh? Yeah. Ice Cube had that image. That gangster image. That in your face, fuck you image. Who? Ice Cube. You think? Big time. He's the first. He sets off the album. He sets off the album. MC Ren, more laid back. Yeah. More laid you back. know who MC Ren is to this group? That's a dumb, well, not a dumb oh. comparison, but for some reason, he gets me as kind of like the J-Rock to TD. He's like, he's, he's, he's... It's not dumb at all, but... That's how I feel when I, like, it's, it's like that kind of, he's in, he's, he's not as front as the, as the other guys, but he's got quality. He's got that, he's got that ability to be an amazing MC. Dr. Dre. Yeah, I mean, you know, it started. But you know, off. but interestingly enough, I know you know where I feel about the Chronic. People that listen to the episodes know where I stand on the Chronic. On uh, two thousand one, not my favorite rap album, but still something I think that a lot of hard work was put into and worked out well. This is not an album I listen to for Dre's production at all. No, you don't. It's good, but I don't think this is. Um, no, and. When I first got into this album, I'm gonna be straight honest with you. I was listening to Dr. Dre as the MC in NWA, as the other gangster rapper in NWA, because that's what you portray it to be. You don't go, hmm, I'm gonna go listen to Straight Outta Compton and be like, oh fuck, Dr. Dre produced this. Man, his production is amazing. Absolutely. Well, you wouldn't not. say that because this is kind of where Dr. Dre starts on. It is on Straight Outta Compton, so you wouldn't normally say I'm gonna go. You wouldn't necessarily be surprised at the fact that Dr. Dre's producing. That was his role on in NWA. That's where it started. Exactly. DJ Yellow produced on this. He he was the DJ. Well, he would do the scratches, yeah. But he did production on this. Nobody really cares about him. I care about him because he's still the face of NWA. But these guys had that face. They were, they were different MCs, different people, different images. Towards the end of the album, okay, before I get into the other songs, something to dance to. 
totally left field from the sound that was on the rest of the album. Yeah. Dope Man. Mm. My probably my favorite song on the album, to be really fucking honest with you. That's your favorite track? Yeah? This is my favorite, favorite song. That Easy E. Did you you would not think that Easy E was not a rapper. You would not think that Easy E did not write his own rhymes mm-hmm. on this song. Eight ball remix. Samples, Eric B. and Rakim, My Melody. Huh? These guys fucking gave you everything you kind of wanted to hear from hip-hop. But at the same time, pissed the fuck out of everybody. People, bringing back to your point, people hated hip-hop because of this album. Yeah. Yeah. But the people that were into hip-hop, the people that were into punk, the people that were into rock, metal, whatever the hell it was, loved this album because these guys gave you that fuck you attitude. Yeah. And it's crazy to me how it's it stands the test of time because it is that classic changing of the guards, cement in hip-hop. These guys did something. And this is where I think things started to change. Is after this album is set, is after this album is put on the shelves and people are listening to it, things are changing. Things are changing in hip hop. What else? Is, what's coming? Mm. What's coming? Eighty nine is coming. Nineties are coming. Things are changing. We're getting different things in hip hop, and that's why I love this album so much compared to what what else is happening in the eighties. And I could go on forever about this yeah. album, but we got to jump into the next album because this is... And you just said different. Yep. This guy was not from the West. He was not from the East of America. Was he from where 21 Savage uh, initially comes from? <laughs> he is from where 21 Savage initially comes from. Uh, relocated to New York, though. I mean, we could pretty much call him a New York artist. Slick Rick. From? France? No. <laughs> Slick Rick. Rick the Ruler. Uncle Ricky. Does he have another name? These guys have a hundred names, man. He is from... Well, he, he went to New York. Hey, he's based in New York. Based in New York, but he's from London. Town. England. London, England. Um, the Great Adventures of Slick Rick. Yeah. On the cover of this album, actually, it's kind of funny because he's like kind of posing in front of a backdrop of New York City. So he's kind of imposing already. I'm not from here. And look, when you look at it, because he's dressed horrendously like shit, like it comes from. He's dressed European. <laughs> he's dressed European, but it looks like he's coming to take it over. Yeah. You find he looks like he's coming to take this over. He's coming to take it over, but in a weird fucking way. He looks like he's saying like, no, I don't find he looks like he's taking over. I find that he looks like he's like. Very happy though. I feel like this is a postcard. The Great Adventures of Slick Rick. We're going to have to post the album cover for people. uh, To understand what we're talking about. Yeah. Off the bat, Children's Story. The highlight of this album. Another cement in hip hop. Another cement in hip hop. This guy was known for the storytelling. Slick Rick was a storyteller. There was no um, 
other really until later he didn't really do the wordplay and the punchlines and stuff this album is storytelling at its best that broke open a lot of doors for MCs as well don't forget the Raekwons the ghost faces of the world mm, big boy the big boys the Andre 3000s that storytelling not done next level not done lyrical mm. but done certain he's lyrical though he's <laughs> lyrical but it's not that I'm gonna use these words with those words like it's not like technical you know what I mean yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's like basically reading a book yeah he does a, he does a good job of you know how you say like there's some albums that bring you to certain places of where the artist is from he does a good job at just letting you understand what he's telling you how crazy is that his first album starts off with a song called Treat Her Like a Prostitute? <laughs> and his album ends off with Lick the Balls. Are you surprised by now that these guys do this? But with the album cover, he's coming over to take over New York. That I don't find he's like coming that. to take over. I find he's coming to... He's just traveling. He didn't have the eye patch on this album. He didn't have the eye patch yet. FYI, um, if you don't know, Slick Rick has one eye. He lost his eye in a accident or some shit or fell on glass he's or known, something he's known for the one eye yeah he's known for, for the, the one eye she's, uh, yeah. he's also known for all the jewelry the excessive excessive jewelry i think that was part of the the european character that he brought over his royalty yeah that was that was the and that gimmick of all that those chains is when you start seeing a lot of rappers wear more chains yeah Eric B and Rakim did it on Follow the Leader album cover I paid in full too they were pretty yes exactly out. paid in full as well but Slick Rick is that guy that was showing it perfusively yeah one thing that he did a little different than the rest of the guys in the 80s he would sing yep listen to the song Teenage Love this was a lead single off this album Teenage Love was like half rapped very very it's a very R&B type beat and the verses are rapped but the chorus is sung he also on Hey Young World Hey Young World he sings yeah and Hey Young World is interesting because he's he tells you the story he does this on other songs too but it's it's kind of done in a way that he tells you the it's more of a question answer question and answer that he does uh, that wasn't being done that was different than, yeah, what everyone else was doing. He brought that different hip-hop. Mm -hmm. Again, not changing under guards, but different emceeing ability. Different way of putting a track together. Yep. A big change in hip-hop. This is Raekwon's favorite rapper, if I'm not mistaken. He said it many times. Mm. He got his style from this guy. So you can put him up there in the forefathers. You can put him up there in what changed hip-hop. Slick Rick did did that with this album. Yeah. If you haven't heard... Uh, the Great Adventures of Slick Rick. You gotta go here. I feel like a lot of people that are listening haven't heard these albums. Go hear The Great Adventures of Slick Rick. Fuck it's it. It's so easy. It's so, like, it's so fun to listen to. It, it's not a... Go hear it. It's not a... This album's not in your face at all. No. It's, it's also one of Nas's favorite albums. These so, guys did they the guy these guys made the MCs you love to listen to. Yeah. You gotta you gotta know where it came from. You gotta know how it started. Mm -hmm. And these albums aren't long either. 
No, it's a super easy. It's about an hour long. It's still not, you know, it's 50 minutes long, but it doesn't drag or 12 it's, songs. It's straight up. This fucking next album is long, but I'm going to This album's go go This would be my straight out of Compton on this list. When I I think I did this already on episode 2. Yeah. And on episode 1, I took the time to go completely out of subject to bring up the anniversary of this album. Three Feet High and Rising by De La Soul is De La Soul's best album. It is recognized as it, it's it's well recognized in hip hop. I would like to say that it should be more recognized because I can't get enough of it. Um, this marks a couple of firsts in hip hop. A very important first. What do none of these album albums have on them? Steve. This is the first time skits are on a hip hop album. Yeah. You're fucking right with that. There was no they invented this. They invented that, and in a comedic way. Well, skits should be comedic, nothing serious. Well, but. unless it's Cuban links. But this was something new that they did. And when you hear them executing the skits, they're disorganized. They're not cohesive. They're, they're awkward. It's not something that's been done before. They're doing, and they're trying to be funny with it. The whole album is nothing but positive. No negativity. Fucking bright lights. Look at the album cover. Although that color. Yeah. Yellows and pinks and... and You've seen the album cover. What else does this album do? That's a first. I'm not sure because you forced me so many times to go listen to this album. And I could fucking say... After I texted you this week, I said, Steve... Yeah. I am fucking really enjoying this album more than I've ever had, and I am very happy it is on the list. Track number nine, I Know. Classic. Along with the magic number and plug tuning and Puddles in My Lawn and Me, Myself, and I, this is one of those singles that shaped the album that make it Very commercial, too. This song is one of the first times... An artist gets nailed for sampling. Yeah. Because these guys weren't familiar with what needed to be done when they would sample beats, when they would use certain parts. And because hip-hop was being... Yes, it was already being fed to the masses when you say like a straight out of Compton or a... You know, it takes a nation of millions. We said Rick Rubin worked on it. Okay? This guy's got a background in this. It's covered. These guys were entirely independent on Tommy Boy. Produced by? Prince Paul. They didn't have that kind of surrounding to help them figure out how releasing an album worked. They would chop stuff they liked off records, short samples, they'd use them, 
and they got drilled for it because this album just kept growing at the time. It wasn't it wasn't expected to blow up the way it did. Did it get drilled right away or did it take time? For the sampling? Yeah. I don't know how long it took, but I know that they had cases that they had to defend themselves with this album. And this is why this the, the, these albums aren't on streaming platforms. And this is why this, this argument is kind of happening. Like, could we get this out? Could we... It's all because of this. It was all left kind of ambiguous when they were... There were no rules that were laid out for them. In the documentary that we watched that I had spoken to you about. Yeah. They 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 were said that they were coming out of high school and they just wanted to make fun music. And mm. you could see the process in the documentary, not the full process, but the process, and you could see that these guys had no fucking idea what they were doing but just making music. They just yeah, that's what they they were yeah. They were kind of more towards that band type feel. Yeah. That high school band type feel. Yeah. And they came out with this body of work that, again, changed the guards for hip hop. There's something you got to listen to in this. We say it a lot in uh, group. I think our group episodes and our duo episodes, we talk a lot about the interaction. We said it a bit on EPMD, how there's a contrast. This, they use the music to contra- to, to show a contrast as well. You'll get some songs that you'll get the first verse. Then you'll cut into like a, a, a skit or a sample or, or something that's unusual to the song. Jumps back in. You get another MC. You're not always sure. Am I hearing the same guy? Am I not? Unless you know. They play with the listener. They, they experiment with chopping the tracks, adding different set, throwing a skit in the middle, uh, spoken segment. This album just comes at you. When you look at this 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 cover, it's it's colors that are hitting you in the face. Listening to this album art to sound, oh, it's th- that's to bring you to your point is this is why it took me a long time to get into it. The album cover. I'm gonna be honest with you. You know the type of hip hop I like. The album cover made me push this album to the side till we've, our friendship started to, to, to build and you pushed this album on me and you pushed these guys on me and I could never appreciate their sound for the longest time till I got older and I understood what the, these guys were trying to do. What was coming out versus this shined the light that these guys were having fun making positive music and making different hip-hop. Versus what was coming out. Am I right? Yeah. I'm, and I could not enjoy this album more. Right now. Doesn't it sound so shitty when you say something like... These guys were drilled... For like... Sampling rights. Because they didn't know how to do it properly. Today these guys are getting butchered by the label because they can't or are struggling to get their stuff out getting for no the money. public getting no money no money no money for these and, albums and all these guys ever wanted to do was be good be positive put out like you know what I'm saying 
Yeah. You no. get movies on NWA guys that were based off violence. Again, different reality, great group. But these guys are being buried. To this day, today, 2019. There's one there's one person that seems to love working with them, one of my all time idols up there. Damon Albarn. Yeah. Gorillas, who just puts him on every Gorillas album, the feel getting. But like Doesn't Gorilla and this kind of sound in in that same category because of the the funness the Well he's a fan. I mean he's but to say that their 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 commercial success is a gorilla song with this type of catalog? The genre of this I'm sorry, I'm just looking at this. Alternative hip hop, psychedelic hip hop. Right, so we said that Arsenio Hall back then called them the hippies of hip hop. Look I know it's dumb, but look at the album cover. They brought in skits. They were being silly. They were being comedic about it. I wouldn't call it that, but I mean, yeah, people found new things to call this. It was different. Nobody did this in 89. No one at all that was making a sound like this. It's crazy to me that these guys were called that. And hate it as much as I hate that word, that term. And a lot of their subject matter was like them talking to girls and being refused. It's that, that, like it wasn't like a message that it, it wasn't. A, a, they weren't boasting. They weren't saying they were better than anyone. They weren't. It was. Yeah. These guys were coming out of high school. These guys made this album in high school. They were talking about what they were going through in high school. Coming from Long Island, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Another group from Long Island at a high school talking about girl problems, being nerds, being geeks. They're fucking rapping about it. That's, that's basically what these guys were doing. They were talking about their troubles in high school. And you can tell that these guys were in high school. You could tell by the way they looked, by the way they were making their music, that they were guys in high school. It, to me, that's brilliant. These yep. guys didn't sell drugs. These guys didn't stand on the corner doing a bunch of bullshit and have to go through that, that same path that a lot of these guys went through. These guys didn't have to go through that. So why not talk about something different and making a mark with being different? Like Beastie Boys, Paul's boutique overall I'm not a huge Beastie Boys fan overall this took me a minute to get into can Vers we just be fair let's, let's just versus say, their other albums versus just, check your head versus License to Ill because yeah. I really loved License to Ill because of that rock mm. it, it, where the, part, the time in my life where I was at License to Ill had that balance for me of rock rap rap rock okay not Paul's Boutique I want to be I want to be entirely honest when we talk about this album. Which is the last album on our list, by the way? Yeah, this is it. We didn't recap halfway. Fuck it. License to Ill, Paul's Boutique, Check Your Head. I think then it's Ill Communication. Hello Nasty. Correct? Right. All of those albums have hits that are pretty 
up front in the Beastie Boys catalog. Check Your Head to me is my favorite Beastie Boys. Really? Yeah, because they, they experimented more with sounds. Continue okay. your point. Um, we considered it for this list, Check Your Head. Yeah, big time. We left it off because it's not... It's, it's hip-hop because it's Beastie Boys, but it's not a hip-hop album. Could we be fair in saying that? Yeah. Paul's Boutique is the one album that, to me, I knew I needed to hear it. I knew I needed to own it. Um, oddly enough, I paid for my first copy of it today. <laughs> I just didn't get into this album until it was time to make a list of the top 100 hip-hop albums of all time. And we went back to a bunch of these Beastie Boys albums to see what really stands out to us because I was in love with Check Your Head. I was more of an ill-communication guy. You see where that balances? When we were shaping up the list... And it's not like we never heard this album. We fucking listened to this album, but it took us a minute to fucking appreciate it. Yeah, this was like when we were making the list, we were going back to albums... And when we put Paul's Boutique on, we had a what-the-fuck moment. I'm going to say that it hit us in the face. We instantly realized that this is... A classic. Yeah, this is, I mean, look. It needs to be here. It's their best one, but it's not my favorite one. I would say it's their best one and it's my favorite one today. But what I'm not going to do is give a history of it and talk about it as if I know this album better than I actually do. No, but the good the big the big thing about this album is uh. they went to experiment somewhere else with different yeah, sounds. This is yeah, okay, so that's an interesting point we can make. It's historic. I mean, it's his it's it's not The reason why people say Paul's Boutique is fucking classic. It's up there with the gods. Uh, you need to listen to it. It's because the way they recorded this album, uh, that's why it's it's part of Rolling Stone's best list. That's why it's part of a bunch of hip hop. It's part, lists. Of, part of pretty much everyone's list of best albums, hip hop or not. All time by magazines, this album's always there. It's the sampling they did. It's where they went to record this album, who they recorded with, what they did as a collective, as a group to to put this body of work together versus what they did with License to Ill. That's the, that's the main effect. Not a lot of people were doing that. These guys are from New York. They're from Brooklyn. They went to Los Angeles to experiment with sounds, experiment being in a different area, sampling using live instruments, being different, doing different things with their music. A lot of bands do that. A lot of fucking bands go All record somewhere else, record different places, experiment the life of being there. But and they were a band. Yes, they were a punk band. They were a rock band. They did all that shit. But they went to live a different lifestyle and look what came out of it. That's why this album is is a classic. Again and again and again, we see the changing of the times and the sounds before we hit the 90s. 
one thing about the Beastie Boys that pisses me the, the fuck off to the point where I think people don't listen to music and don't listen to bodies of work is when we were working at HMV, that solid gold, what was that album? It was all their, their best stuff. Are you allowed to say HMV? Fuck it. It doesn't make sense to me that people keep going back to the Beastie Boys for that greatest hits when these guys have bodies of work that have better songs than those hits. When you think Beastie Boys, you think right away, hits, 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 hits. I get it. I totally get it. That Beastie Boys, you could play this song here. You could play uh, all these fucking amazing songs, but you cannot stick to greatest hits from Beastie Boys. You need to dig deep in, and that's something that was pushed in people's faces. And that's why sometimes a lot of these albums, like this Paul's Boutique for me, or like Anil Communication and To The Five Boros, is because you're, you're listening to, to a greatest hits when these guys' body of work needs to be listened to as a full to really understand what they're trying to do as a group. A greatest hits is for an artist you like just enough to not need an album. Yeah, but Beastie Boys have made phenomenal music where they don't need, like, that greatest hits could go listen yeah, to look, everything. I totally agree with you. For a long time, this was all I needed from them. But, yeah. And the thing is that Paul's Boutique doesn't have hits that stand out on their own. The hits I listen to are from other albums. Yeah, but this is a so body of the, work. Um, and they have better bodies of work and amazing bodies of work that you can't, you need to listen to it in full than the greatest hits. And that's my point with, and that's kind of a, a, a reason why I ruined a lot of my liking to Beastie Boys. It's because of those songs and that way of listening to a Beastie Boys. And because of HMV. But yeah, wrapping up our point. Yeah, I think that's the 80s for us. Um, quick recap. Boogie Down Productions, Criminal Minded in 87, Paid in Full by Eric B and Rakim in 87. Strictly Business, EPMD, 88. Long Live the Kane, 88. Big, Big Daddy Kane. It Takes a Nation of a Million, Public Enemy. Follow the Leader, Eric B. and Rakim, the second time on the list. Straight Outta Compton, NWA. The Great Adventures of Slick Rick, by Slick Rick, in 88. Three Feet High and Rising by De La Soul in 89. And Paul's Boutique to close off the 80s in 89. What's your favorite? NWA Straight Outta Compton. The change, just the impact, the sentimental value, all that. It changed my life. You? De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising. The change, the impact. Changed my life. Crazy, huh? How these albums changed our lives? Uh, look, that's all we have for uh, 80s, episode 7. We hope you liked uh, learning a bit about albums you probably didn't know. If you did and you liked what we had to say, thanks for listening. And if you didn't and need something to listen to, um, explore. The, this is what... this is. It's not what started hip-hop, but this is really what made hip-hop great. And if it wasn't for... A bunch of these artists on this list, we would not have our Jay-Z's, we would not have our Nas's, we would not have our Raekwon's, we would not have our Kendrick Lamar's, we would not have all these great MC's if it wasn't for 
most of, if not all 10 of these artists. It's actually nine artists because we had Eric B and Rakim twice. Yeah, I can't count. Um, going back and doing this episode particularly, if we could end on this, it was a breath of fresh air to go back and hear these albums that didn't have all the technology to make things sound as elaborate, as deep as the tracks we hear now, as the albums we hear now. These guys were limited in what they could do. Technology wasn't where it was. They were using like the first, you know, sampling machines and, and they didn't have the tools. So to go back and hear these albums and tell myself like, wow, these will live on even beyond what artists have done in recent years. Yeah, we're putting recent albums on this list to make a point. There's also a point to be made with these. If you don't know these albums and you need something fresh and you're tired of what you're hearing and everything sounds the same, I think it's time you pay these a visit. Yeah. 80s. What's our next episode? We got 90s next week. Fuck, I can't wait. I've been excited as hell for this. Um, when we were doing the West Coast and the Southern episodes, we said to ourselves we weren't going to do a New York episode because there's so much New York on this list and, and on any hip-hop list. It would, like it, 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 Making a New York list, there would just be too many options to put in and then it becomes a why this on a New York episode versus XYZ albums. The 90s episode is almost a New York episode. There's only one non-New York album, I think, or two. Two, I think there's two. But we'll talk about that, I think, on that episode. Yeah, so get ready. Next week's episode, 90s. Thank you very much for listening, guys.